the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. Well, we're still in our series, Rooted. <coughs> Excuse me. Rooted. And tonight's message is called Sanctified. <laughs> Sanctify. So you, that's just something you got to say. Go ahead and say it. Go ahead. Sanctify. We hear that word. That's a church word. And you, you say, he's sanctified. He go down to that sanctified church. <laughs> we, a lot of people don't know what that means. But we're going to find out for tonight's through. Amen. You know, when I was growing up, my mama smoked. I ain't going to hold it against her because, you know, back in the 70s and 60s and all, everybody smoked pretty much. You know, that's what the people did back then. It wasn't, it wasn't frowned upon in those days. It was encouraged. And so, you know, as a little kid, I bet I smelled like smoke everywhere I went. I'd be in the car with Mama and, and just about everywhere you went, people were smoking, you know. And we just got used to the smell of smoke. We didn't think nothing about it. Well, I grew up and Got in a rock and roll band, a blues band, been in every kind of band, country band. We used to play in the nightclubs and so forth. And I tell you what, in them nightclubs, they got very little ventilation, often got very low ceilings. I remember playing in some of those clubs. We'd step out the back door or something behind the stage or something, and I could just see smoke billowing out. Whoa. Just You just see it coming out the door, you know. And... It started to bother me when I would get home that my eyes would be burning and my throat would be dry. And, and if I rubbed my eyelashes, I would rub smoke into my eye because it was caked up on my eyelashes and my hair felt like it had hairspray in it. I mean, the smoke would be so thick in those places. If I were to do that number there, my hair would stay up like that. And so would my clothes. When I took them off, I'd throw them in the corner and my pants would still be standing up. I was like, what? And, and so I, that's what I started to do later on. I started, hey, I'm going to put these right in the washer because they smelled up the whole house because nobody in our house smoked. And, and I began to see that there was a difference in the way it smelled when you smoked and when you didn't. And then it really got real to me when I, when I got saved. And I started going to this church, this church, and the pastor after a couple of weeks, he invited me to be on the praise and worship team. Now, I ain't going to suggest that, that he did the right thing there because I wasn't ready for it. But he saw something in me, and he invited me to be on the praise and worship team, and I'd be up there playing. But, that, but it took me like a year before I got out of playing the nightclubs. I would play in a nightclub on Saturday night, and I'd go to church and play on a Sunday morning. It wasn't that I was, you know, my heart had changed but God had told me not to leave the band, so I stayed with my band. And as you know, that other testimony, they all got saved within that year, so that ended up being a good deal. But during that time, I would come on a Sunday morning, and I had washed my clothes. I had washed my hair. 
I was smelling good. But when I would open my guitar case, whoo, it would smell like that nightclub. And I was kind of embarrassed about it. Being in church, it smelled so bad. And I would shut the case and get the guitar out. And the guitar smelled like smoke. My strap smelled like smoke. Chad, you know what I'm talking about. And so you know why I'm telling this message, this story, right? No, he don't know. I don't, I don't know either. But I got a feeling it may be brought up again later somewhere in the message. Let's get back to being sanctified. Let's get back to being rooted. What's the whole purpose of being rooted? If, if you're an apple tree, or you're an oak tree, or you're a mustard seed, or whatever, what's the purpose of being rooted? What's the ultimate desire that you're after? What's the goal to being rooted? All those things. You, get, you need stability. Your roots got to go down deep so that you can stand in the midst of the storm, right? Right. So that you can last and you, you can get the nutrients that you need. All those answers that you gave are right. But the ultimate goal is that the tree will produce fruit. Good fruit. That's right. Not just any fruit. That it would produce good fruit. John 15, 16, Jesus says, you didn't choose me. I chose you. Although it sure felt like we chose him. But no, he had already seen before and had chosen us. You didn't choose me. I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit. Lasting fruit. Not just a one-time harvest, but a continual bounty. You put that one seed in the ground, it grows up into a tree, and every year it should be producing fruit. So that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name, you fruity thing, you. Look at your neighbor and say, you fruity thing, you. Turn to Matthew 13, 24, and let's, let's study some more farmer's tips. What's, the, what's that thing called? The almanac, the farmer's almanac? Turn in your farmer's almanac to Matthew 13, 24. Well, I can't help it. Jesus told farmer stories. He used natural realities to make spiritual principles. Matthew 13, 24 says, Here is another story Jesus told. Another farmer story. The kingdom of heaven is like a farmer who planted good seed in his field. But that night, as the workers slept, his enemy came and planted weeds among the wheat, then slipped away. When the crop began to grow and produce grain, the weeds also grew. The farmer's workers went to him and said, Sir, the field you had planted that good seed is full of weeds. Where did they come from? An enemy has done this, the farmer exclaimed. Should we pull out the weeds, they asked? No, he replied, You'll uproot the wheat if you do. Let's let both grow together until the harvest. And then I will tell the harvesters to sort out the weeds, tie them into bundles, and burn them. And we'll put the wheat in the barn. Do you want to be 
tied up in bundles and thrown into the fire? <laughs> or do you want to be put in the barn? You know he's talking about a spiritual principle here, right? If you, He goes on to explain it in another passage, and he says that, that the wheat are God's people that he put on the earth. And the weeds are those sown by the enemy, the devil. He's not saying that the weeds can't become wheat because in God's kingdom, he, they can. They can become something brand new. We were, uh, uh, if you don't believe it, we were a branch that was broke off and grafted in into Israel, to the vine, right? And so God can do horticultural things that we can't do. That was a big word for me. Somebody ought to say, way to go, Pastor. But my question is, how do we keep from being choked out by the weeds? You see, God's plan is for us to be sanctified. Sanctified. What is sanctified? We're going to talk about that tonight. I'm going to start off by telling you what it ain't. It's not a title you heap on yourself so that you can feel superior to others. I go to church, so I'm sanctified. I've been chicken fried and sanctified. <laughs> you got your nose so high up in air, if it was to rain, you'd drown yourself, you know. It's not a title that we wear saying, I'm sanctified and you're not. It's not playing the martyr's card either. You know what I mean? Punishing yourself with poverty vows and and holding yourself back and making self-imposed punishments that make you seem religious? That's not sanctified. Colossians 2.18 says, Don't let anyone condemn you by insisting on pious self-denial or the worship of angels, saying they had visions about things. Their sinful minds have made them proud. You see, the pride of man will make you do some stupid stuff to say, hey, look at me. That's why people have pious self-denial. And they begin to play religious games and say, look at me, I'm sanctified. But that's not what sanctified is. If you go on down to verse 21, it says, don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. Such rules are mere human teachings about things that deteriorate as we use them. These rules may seem wise because they require strong devotion pious self-denial and severe bodily discipline but they provide no help in conquering a person's evil desires so you know putting yourself through all this self-denial about things that god didn't say were sinful just so that you can say hey look at me i'm religious that's not helping you to be truly religious and put down your evil desires Sanctification is not the same thing as being sanctimonious. Have you ever heard that term? That's another $4 word. I looked up sanctimonious. Now I have to look these things up. Sanctimonious in the dictionary says making a show of being morally superior to other people. That ain't what God's after. You trying to act morally superior. Well, I haven't bathed in six weeks as a vow unto God. Well, you need to go take a bath. You know what's wrong with you? 
I mean, seriously. That's not what it's about being sanctimonious. It's not sanctimonious. It's sanctification that we're called to. It's not a title inferred, but a work of God in the heart of an obedient child of God. An obedient believer. So I looked up sanctify just so I've always seen sanctify to be sanctified is to be set apart. Every time I see the word, that's what I think. When you're sanctified, you're set apart. I sanctify this microphone for myself. <clears throat> it's set apart for my use, right? Okay. Well, in the dictionary, it's, that's the first thing it says. It says to set apart to a sacred purpose or a religious use. So it's actually more of a religious term because it's set apart for a religious use. To be set apart, to consecrate, to consecrate, to make yourself ready for it to be used by God. The second definition it gives is to free from sin, to purify. Now that's the things that we need to step away from. That's the things we need to do without, you know, I, ha I don't eat bacon because I am morally superior. I am sanctimonious. No. <laughs> You're just missing out on bacon. <laughs> you know, all things are sanctified by the Word of God in prayer. They're okay to eat now, all right? We live under a good covenant, a bacon-eating covenant, I'm telling you. Dr. Henry Morris he says true morality or sanctification is generated internally from a heart of gratitude and love for the Lord and for His Word. And then it's manifested externally in a godly life of, of non-self-centered service. It means you're not doing it for yourself. It's, it's manifested in a, heart, a grateful heart about God and His Word in a heart of non-self-centered service. Sanctimoniousness is generated from a heart of pride and is manifested in a critical spirit. Morality or sanctification judges oneself. Sanctimoniousness judges others. You see the difference? Is this helping anybody? Is this, am I just playing semantics and this is like, man, what did I come here for tonight? But I think it's going to make a difference when you understand. We are called to be sanctified, but we are not called to be sanctimonious. We're not called to judge everybody. We're not living so that we can prove anything about anybody else. We're, proving, we're, we're, we're sanctified because we love God and His Word. And we want to be free from sin and we want to be set apart for His use. We want to be, able, we want to be usable in His hands. He said he's, He made us vessels. And some vessels he made for a common everyday use, and some vessels he set apart for the special stuff. And we want to be set apart. Sanctification begins just after justification. A lot of churchy words. Justification happened when? At salvation. Let me break it down. When you said, Jesus come into my heart, and you got saved, that's when the sanctification process began. And it's completed at your glorification. It will be complete one day. 
You may never get it all the way, which I don't think any of us will, but you remember when it says our glorification is when we see Jesus face to face. He says, when you see me face, when you die, or when I come and get you, and we see each other face to face, and I give you that new glorified body, at your glorification, you'll be like me. You'll, I'll see, you'll see me as I truly am, and you will be like me. And that's the end of the process. Jesus will have completed that good work that he started in us. You remember that scripture? The work that I began in you, I will complete until the day of Jesus Christ. When he comes back, then the work is finished. But from the moment you get saved until the moment you die or he comes back, there's work to do. Remember we just talked about working out your salvation. It's in there. Everything that you need that pertains to life and godliness that we talked about this Sunday is already in there, but there's a process for working it out. And that's what sanctification is. It's working out this good work that God has done in you. Sanctification, I wrote, is a work God does in the lives of those who will sit still on the potter's wheel. Because I'm going to throw something else at you. It's God that does the work. Whoa. Wait a minute. But I'm trying real hard to, to be holy. I'm trying real hard to do this and to do that. But it's God who does the work. And your job is to sit still on the potter's wheel. To be there and let Him get His hands in your life. Some of you are looking at me like, I don't believe that. Go to 1 Thessalonians 5.21. 1 Thessalonians 5.21. I'm going to read it out of the King James Version. Apostle Paul says, Prove all things and hold fast to that which is good. You know, make a determination. Is this holy or is this unholy? Is this going to lead me in the path of righteousness or is it going to lead me down a crooked path? Prove all things, hold fast to that which is good, and abstain from all appearance of evil. So he takes it to another level. Don't just stay away from the things that are evil, but don't even use your freedom to give the appearance of evil. And the very God of peace sanctify you. Who does the sanctifying? And the very God of peace sanctify you holy. And I pray God, your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless until the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he that calleth you who will also do it. He called you out of darkness into His wonderful kingdom and He is the one who is going to help sanctify you. He is going to, one that's going to, going, to, going to bring out that holiness in you if you sit still on the potter's wheel. Right? You know you're a spirit, soul, and body. You know you're a three-part being, right? And see, He's trying to keep us <laughs> preserved blameless until He comes back and finishes the process. Why is, why is he concerned 
about how we act down here if He's just going to make us right in the end. Well, we're going to talk about that. But not right now. 1 Peter 2.9 King James. I've been using a lot of King James lately. I don't know why. It's what I cut my teeth on. And sometimes it just says it more powerfully than the New Living. I love the New Living because it's easier to grasp. But the King James is also very powerful. Different ways to say the same thing. 1 Peter 2.9 But you are a chosen generation. He's talking about you believers, you sanctified things, you you fruity people. You are a chosen generation and a royal priesthood and holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of Him who has called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Hallelujah! We should show forth a lot of praises. But the reason I pulled this scripture out is because of that phrase, peculiar people. I just love that. I've always... It's, I've marveled at that. I've always thought, we're supposed to be a peculiar people? That's why Christians are so weird. Right? I mean, a lot of Christians, have got that's the one scripture they got down. <laughs> Out of them all, they've got that one. Uh, they may not know it's in there, but they, they are living it out, buddy. Peculiar people. What comes to mind when you hear the word peculiar? Strange. Different, weird. <laughs> well, okay. I looked it up in the dictionary. Peculiar. And it does say strange or odd. Unusual. So it does fit. We are a strange and odd people and unusual. But no... The second definition below that, I think, is the one more intended in the original Hebrew or Greek, whichever it was in. And, and it is this. Belonging exclusively to. Peculiar means belonging exclusively to. And then it gives a sentence with it in there so you can understand what they're getting at. When it says, the air hung with an antiseptic aroma peculiar to hospitals. Now, everybody knows what a hospital, this smells like a hospital, right? That smell is peculiar to the hospital. It belongs exclusively to hospitals. You don't smell that anywhere else, so to speak. So if you recognize that we are a peculiar people, we should pretty much smell like Jesus. We should pretty much act like Jesus. When they saw Peter and John, they said, I perceive these men, these unlearned fishermen have been with Jesus. I can tell that there's something peculiar about them to Jesus. Exclusively, belonging to. It's strange. It's odd. The likeness. Peculiar. 2 Corinthians 6.17 says, Therefore come out from amongst the unbelievers and separate yourself from them, says the Lord. Don't touch their filthy things and I will welcome you. Come out 
from among them. First Peter 4, 4 says, Of course, your former friends are surprised when you no longer plunge into the flood of wild and destructive things that they do. When you get out of that rock and roll band, they're going to be like, Dude, man, we made $50 last night. You missed out, man. Of course, we spent 75 on beer, but... But they're going to be surprised when you don't run to the same destructive behavior that you used to. Get ready for it. So they slander you. But remember, they will have to face God who stands ready to judge everyone, both the living and the dead. Man, we've got enough sense to come out of that because we don't want to face it with that darkness in our life. Ephesians 5, 8 says, For once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of the light. Be a peculiar people and let your light shine. They're going to think it's strange that you're not doing what they do. They're going to think it's strange that there's something peculiar about him. He ain't doing what everybody else is doing. She ain't acting like everybody else is acting. For this light within you only produces what is good, right, and true. And what their life is producing is bad, wrong, and untrue. Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. There it is again. Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. If you read that in the King James, verse 11 says, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. There goes the fruit thing again. We're supposed to be producing fruit. And in the darkness, no fruit is produced. Okay, plant you a seed and then cover it up and don't let any sunlight get to it and see how well it grows. It doesn't grow in the darkness. You're not going to produce fruit in the darkness. And what is God after? The fruit. The fruit of our lives. Fruit. Family. If the wheat decides to put its roots down with the weeds, the weeds will choke the life out of that wheat, won't it? Man, you came out of the world, came into the light, now you're growing strong and you're producing fruit, but you're going to transplant yourself and go back into the darkness and set your roots right beside the weeds that's going to suck you dry, take everything all the nutrients from you, the darkness is going to overtake you, and you will not produce any fruit. Let's talk about another aspect of this teaching. Is sin contagious? Is holiness contagious? Because if, you know, is that what it is? If I'm around a sinful person, they're going to, they're going to rub off on me. I'm going to get a disease of sin or darkness. Or if I'm a, all I got to do is go to church and sit in a pew around a bunch of holy folks and I'll be holy. Turn to Haggai. That's a good question, isn't it? How does this work? What exactly are the determining factors? Haggai 2.11. Or you can say, hey, guy. Hey, guy. Haggai. I think it's pronounced Haggai, but I'm not sure. Haggai 2.11. 
the Lord, through the prophet Haggai, is speaking, and he's teaching the people on these principles about holiness and sin and whether they're contagious or not. This is what the Lord of Heaven Army says. Ask the priest this question about the law. So he's, he's going to ask the priest, the guys who know the law. If one of you is carrying some meat from a holy sacrifice in his robes, so the meat is holy, right? And his robe happens to brush against some bread or stew or wine or olive oil or any other kind of food, will it also become holy? The things it brushed against, will they become holy? Well, the priest replied, no, they will not. So, the first question is answered. Holiness is not contagious. Oh, that would have been so easy. I just rub up against Joe or Dorinda or you know, give me some holiness when I'm feeling down. Then Haggai asked, if someone becomes ceremonially unclean by touching a dead person, and then touches any of these foods, will the food be defiled? And the priest answered, yes. So sin can be infectious, contagious. Then Haggai responded, that is how it is. Now, now this is, this is going to go to a different teaching here, okay. He's, he's through talking about that. Holiness not contagious, but sin can be transferable. Would you agree? Is what he's saying here according to the law? And according to the law, we know it's according to and the natural. But then he, he changes gears here. He says, that is how it is with these people in this nation, says the Lord. Everything they do, they offer is defiled by their sin. Look at what is happening to you before you lay the foundations of the Lord's temple. When you hoped for 20 bushel crop, you only harvested 10. When you expected to draw 50 gallons from the wine press, you only found 20. You're not producing fruit up to your expectation because this is the way it is. You've been defiled by sin. And... For those of you who think the Lord never, he wouldn't never do anything wrong in your eyes or, or any, put anything on anybody, it says, I send blight and mildew and hell to destroy everything you work so hard to produce. Even so, you refuse to return to me, says the Lord. Question Could some of our misfortune stem from our resistance? to the sanctification process in our life? Could the Lord be saying, I wanted to give you 50 bushels. You should have produced 50 bushels. But because of sin in your life, I cannot reward that. I had to send mildew and blight and all these things to draw you back unto myself. Now if God does send something, you understand it's for your good. Everything he does is holy, righteous, and true. And there's no other way to judge God. Don't get me confused. But God does do what he wants to do. And he will do what is right to get the end results he desires. But could some of our lack of fruit in our life, some of the lack in our life, when we know there should be abundance, 
Could it be from our resistance to the sanctification process? Because God can't really, truly get the harvest to us that He wants to because we're infected with sin. What else do we see in this passage? 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, Bad company corrupts good character. Sin is infectious. Proverbs 13.20 says, Walk with the wise and become wise. Associate with fools and get in trouble. Holiness is not contagious. It's not infectious. But it is affectious. A-F-F-E-C-T-I-O-U-S. Just between me and you, that is not a real word. That is not a real word. I made that up. It should be a real word because I looked up the word affect, A-F-F-E-C-T, and the first definition says having an effect on or making a difference to. Your holiness should affect somebody. It should make a difference in their life. The second definition says touching the feelings of someone to move emotionally. Holiness, I believe, can be affectious. I believe it can change the way people feel about Jesus. Not a, not a sanctimoniousness where you're putting them down with your holiness, but a true holiness that comes from an inward place where you love them, you, you want to help them, and they see and recognize that there's something peculiar about you. And it's not there to put them down, but it's there to help them out. Sanctification is necessary in our role as ambassadors for Christ. You know, in 2 Corinthians 5, it says that we've been made ambassadors for Christ, right? What is an ambassador? It's somebody who's sent to a foreign nation to, to, to represent the country he came from. We have ambassadors from all nations here in America. They come here and they tell us what their country does and they try to influence us for their country's sake and so forth. And so we're... We need to be sanctified so that we can be good ambassadors, so that we can be peculiar to the place that we came from, so that people can recognize us as the ambassadors from heaven. But we've heard the, the, the phrase, we're in this world, but we're not of it. And that is scripturally correct, as I'll show you. But if that can also, if you just take it at face value and you don't think about it, you can say, well, I'm in this world. I'm not of it. I'm going to go live in a commune somewhere. I'm going to get me a place in Wyoming. I'm going to grow my own food. I'm getting off the grid. And I'm not going to shop where those sinners are. I'm not going to eat where those sinners are. I'm going to set myself apart. I'm sanctified. How can you do that and be an ambassador at the same time? How do we rectify these two issues? That we need to be set apart, but we need to be an ambassador, a representative to the center. How do we rectify this? 
Jesus says in John 17, 15, when he's praying to the Father, he says, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. He says, make them holy by your truth. Or if you read it in the King James, it says, sanctify them by thy truth. You know, it's the truth that makes you free. And it's the Word of God that can make you holy. Washing of water by the Word of God will make you holy. It will change your understanding. And it's your understanding of what keeps us from being holy. It's our understanding of what's right and wrong. And our pride and all the twisted things up there that keep us from doing what we obviously should do that will produce fruit in our life. Anyway, he says, teach them your word, which is truth. Just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. Now, did Jesus come down here and start a commune with other Christians? In fact, he did the opposite. He spent most of his time with sinners. Well, a lot of his time with sinners. I wouldn't say most of his time. But he was not afraid to be with sinners. In fact, he said, what did he say? I didn't come for the righteous. Because there was no righteous. But there was those who thought they were. He didn't say, I I didn't come for the righteous. I came for those who need a doctor. I came for those who know that they're sick. He was an ambassador from heaven with a message to all us earthlings. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. He had a message. He came as an ambassador from heaven to come down here and preach his kingdom's message that, hey, salvation is near. How near? I'm standing right here in your face. That's how near. I mean, when he said it, he could really say it. You know what I'm saying? He said, I'm him. (laughs) But it's the same gospel message that we preach today. That Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And he is the salvation. And nobody comes to the Father except through him. There is no other way. Jesus. And Jesus alone. And he spent time with sinners, but he didn't sin. Can you spend time with sinners without engaging in what they're doing? Apparently you can. Because we see that Jesus spent a lot of time with sinners, but then we see that He was the sinless Lamb. That He lived a life without sin. In fact, if He would have sinned one time, He couldn't have died for me and your sin. He'd had to pay for His own. So there is a way. There is a balance. Between being sanctified, you're set apart from the sin, the infection of these people. You hate the sin, but you love the sinner. Does that make sense? Paul had a grip on this concept. Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians 9, 19. He said, even though I'm a free man with no master, because the truth has set him free, I have become a slave to all people to bring many to Christ. 
In other words, I am as free to do anything I want to do because Jesus has set me free, but I willingly go back to bring those people out of this burning building. You know, it'd be the easy thing to get saved and, and, and this building catch on fire and I'm out the door. But I know you're like me. We're not just going to leave those children behind. Somebody's going to go back there and get them children out. And that's what we're doing down here. Because this building is on fire. This ship is going down. When I was with the Jews, I lived like a Jew to bring the Jews to Christ. When I was with those who followed the Jewish law, I lived under that law, even though I'm not subject to the law. I did this so that I could bring to Christ those who were under the law. When I'm with the Gentiles who do not follow the, follow the Jewish law, I too live apart from the law so that I can bring them to Christ. But I do not ignore the law of God. I obey the law of Christ. During all this, he, he dis, does not sin. When I am with those who are weak, I share their weakness, for I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. I do everything to spread the good news and share in its blessings. So he spent time with sinners. He would get down on their level of understanding or if it was a small person on their level of stature, if it was a poor person, he would not try to make himself better than them. He would never try to make himself look good. He was there with a purpose to pull them out of this burning building. To pull them out of the grasp of Satan himself, out of the miry clay, onto the solid rock. Whatever it took. But never does it suggest that he himself had to sin to do this? He is sanctified, but he does not run and hide with his sanctification. In fact, your sanctification is what qualifies you to go back into the burning building and save others. He is in it, but he is not of it. He doesn't dig it, but he does love it. What are you talking about, Pastor? He's in the world, but he's not of it. He doesn't dig their ways, but he loves the people. He loves the people. He's an ambassador. He keeps himself set apart for Christ's use. He sees his sanctification as an invaluable tool in the defense of the gospel. Because if you're just like them, they just recognize you as a hypocrite and you have discredited your whole life, your character, your integrity, and they're not going to listen to a thing you say. You're telling me about something you don't even live yourself. Your sanctification is what gives you the ability to speak into someone's life and have any credibility or authority whatsoever. And without any level of sanctification, the Holy Spirit is not going to be working in your life. And the most you could ever achieve was just some earthly results. This sanctification process is so that you can produce fruit that other people can pick from. Fruit that is going to bless 
the nations, that is going to get people saved, the, the fruit of life. You need to be a tree of life like Jesus was. Produce, produce, produce a lighthouse in a dark world. But if you engage in the same sins, you run into the same darkness that they do, your, your light is going to go out. And there's nothing, you'll be part of the darkness and you'll all fall in the ditch. He knows to compromise his sanctification would only dim his candle. And Brother Tony just got here, but he didn't hear the first part of this story. But I was telling him, Tony, about how we used to play in those nightclubs, how smoky it would get in there. Woo! Well, anyway, I remember one night in particular, we was playing at this particular smoky nightclub. And this was after I'd been saved. And this is when the guys were in the process of getting saved. And I think Tony had already gotten saved at this point. And that was that year process, you remember? God left me in there to help bring my buddies out. But we, were in, we had finished a set. And Tony's my bass player. And I can't remember the exact reason we went out to the truck. He wanted to show me something in the Bible or I wanted to show him. I don't remember. But we went, we, we got out of that place. You know, we would just, we had gotten to where we would go out and we'd hit rocks, you know, and, in the parking lot with a stick. You know, we just had to get out of that smoke. And, and it was got to where when you seen the light, you really don't even really want to ever go back into that darkness. And, it, you know, it was just, it was just for the season that we had to be there. But anyway, Tony and me, we went out to the truck and we were sharing a scripture in the truck outside the front of the nightclub. And there was two girls walking by and they saw the light on in the truck, I guess. And we weren't paying attention. They come knocked on my window. They said, y'all give us some of that y'all got in there. We want to we wanna smoke some too. I rolled down the window. I said, here you go. You can have all you want. They said, you can't do that here. <laughs> well, we tell, we say, yes, you can. Is that a true story, brother? Hallelujah. Yeah, that's the same nightclub we went back to about a year later after we had started playing for the Lord. The whole band got saved, and most of them is your praise team right now. And we... <laughs> Yeah, and uh, we went back in there, and they was they had a yearly festival. I told you all this story before. Anyway, we went back to play. We told them we was a Christian band. They didn't believe us. But we went back in that building in that darkness to pull them out of the fire. And you know what? Yes, they did. They after we play, we pulled the, we we whipped the King James out on them that night. They were slow dancing to our worship songs and drinking beer. They were, I saw some of them shout hallelujah, didn't you? With a beer in their hand. They didn't recognize we were playing Christian music until about four or five songs in. They said, what are they saying? But anyway, that's another whole story. But after that show, they came up and they were, they were lining up. We played at that nightclub for three years straight as a house band, and we never had anybody come talk to us after we got through playing, maybe one or two people. That night when we got through playing and telling them that God loves them, 
that he's the same as he was yesterday and today and forever. And he's come to save the brokenhearted, to heal the, the broken and what, whatever all that scripture is in Isaiah. Anyway, it ain't coming to me right now. But okay, but they lined up to come and tell us how much they appreciated us being there. They are hungry for somebody who will set themselves apart, not be ashamed of the gospel, and let the light shine in the midst of the darkness and give them a little bit of hope that it could be them. And it certainly can. God can take those old weeds and He can give them a new DNA. He can give them a new structure and they, they can come out wheat and start producing a harvest just like we did. Which one of us thinks we were born wheat? Aren't we new creations in Christ Jesus? That's all I got to say about that. Does anybody need anything? Anybody have any comments before we close? Angie told me I had to quit early because she's in the nursery. I don't think she wanted me to tell you that. But. Hey, you got to do what mama says. I love my wife. That's part of my daily thing that, you know, if, if you remember, we did a thing where we wrote down things that we con confess every day to help us get that in our spirit. And one of mine was, I love my wife and will lay down my life to serve her. I don't want to get off message. Anybody got anything before we close? I want you to leave being sanctified. It's a process. Some of you are some up here, some of you up here, over here. Some of you had not started yet, or I don't know where you're at. But it is a process. The salvation is there. Stay on the wheel. Stay still on the potter's wheel, right? And let God work it out in you. But you got, you got to be willing. You keep jumping off every time He tries to get His hands in your life. Every time He tells you no, well, I'm not listening to that. I don't like that scripture. <laughs> and you jump off the potter's wheel. It's, it's bigger than you. It's about those lost souls in that burning building. Thanks for listening to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church.